With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Finders Grievers, a happy-ish podcast about sad things. I'm your host, Shohana Sharman. So, this upcoming Sunday is Mother's Day, which is my favorite day of the year. Just kidding, I hate it, and here's why. My mom passed away on March 11th, 2017, and every year since, the anniversary of her passing has been a difficult day, to say the least. I usually take the day off work and stay in bed to just watch lots of YouTube, scroll lots of Instagram, and do lots of crying in general. And all of that is fine. But here's the thing. When I go on social media on my mom's death anniversary, I don't have to see everyone else's alive and smiling moms. Brands don't send me punny saccharine emails weeks in advance of that day telling me to do something special to put a smile on mom's face. And my day job, which requires me to create content, does not ask me to create special warm and fuzzy mother-focused content for this anniversary. But I have to do all of that shit for Mother's Day every year. And every year, I dread this day. I dread it so much, knowing fully well that I'm in the wrong. I know that mothers are wonderful. I did a whole freaking episode as a tribute to mine. I know moms should be celebrated, and I absolutely should not hold it against anyone for celebrating their mother. For many years, I did the same. I celebrated my mom. But now that I don't have a mom, there's just a really shallow part of me that kinda hates all of it. Again, I know I'm being petty, but... Hey man, I feel what I feel, and I'm going to be honest about it. Every time Gap sends me an email asking me to buy khakis for Mother's Day, I want to throw my laptop out the window, and I will not apologize for that. So with all of that said, here I am with a Mother's Day episode! Oh, the hypocrisy is baked in, and now that I've acknowledged it once, I will be ignoring it for the rest of this episode. I had to think long and hard about who I wanted to talk to for this. Just kidding, that's a lie. I actually didn't have to think very hard at all, because the person I'm interviewing today is someone that I lovingly call my comedy mom. I met Jan Caruana in 2018, the year after I lost my mom. This was also the same year that my relationship with my dad fell apart. I know, fun times, whole nother story another day. And I was having a really crappy time in life. I was writing and performing comedy, but I wasn't having fun doing it. I was focused on the wrong things. 
I was chasing validation instead of focusing on what I loved. Looking back now, I realize I was depressed. I felt hopeless and misunderstood all the time. And instead of being honest with myself about what I was feeling, I was just running from one show to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. That year, my sketch comedy troupe, Not Oasis, hired Jan to direct an upcoming sketch review we were working on. Jan invited our troupe over to her place for our first meeting. I remember feeling really nervous about this first meeting because Jan was, and still is, like, kind of a big deal. She's Canadian comedy legend, and for years before I ever met her, I watched her on stage with genuine awe. She's a truly incredible and one-of-a-kind performer. So, imagine my surprise when we got to Jan's place that day, and she greeted us with literal freshly baked cookies. And that wasn't just a one-off, by the way. Over the next year, every time we went to Jan's place for rehearsal, she had snacks, and not just like chips in a bowl, like proper baked goods every time. She was such a warm and nurturing presence. And as time went on, I really felt this warmth and support from Jan that I hadn't felt in a really long time. I felt safe and taken care of around her. It's kind of embarrassing now, but I used to write these really long emails to Jan where I would often be a negative Nancy and just overshare so much. And she never judged me. She would always respond with kindness and encouragement. I told her how hard it was missing my mom, and she told me about how difficult it was for her when she lost her dad. She made me feel seen and heard and understood, and I really needed that that year. I wrote some of my best work under Jan's direction. She helped me put ideas to paper that I didn't think anyone wanted to listen to. She encouraged me to foster my voice and only chase what I loved, instead of telling me to chase what I needed to get quote-unquote famous. So, it should not be a surprise at all that years later, when I finally decided to start this podcast, Jan is the first person I wanted to talk to. She is, and always will be, my comedy mom. And that's worth celebrating on Mother's Day, too. So, without further ado... Thank you for having me. Hi, how are you doing? Well, uh, fine. (laughs) In the grand scheme of things, I am fine. How are you? (laughs) I'm doing also fine, you know, in the grand scheme of things, can't complain. So tell me about your your dad. Uh, Well, um, he was my dad for my whole life until he wasn't. Um, My dad was a great dad. He was... uh, fun and funny. My dad was very interesting, but I think the most interesting kind of dynamic in our family was my dad was an old dad. He had me when he was probably 50 or so, if not a little bit older. So it's funny when you're little and you have an old dad, people mistake your dad for your grandpa. So they'll be like, oh, is your grandpa, you know, at the park with you or whatever? And at the at the time I was like, oh my God, that's devastating. You know, when you're like seven or whatever, you see all the like young dads. But then as as it got older, it was kind of neat because he was retired when I was 14 or so. And, and then we got to spend all sorts of time together. He was just always around. The downside is, is that when you have an old dad, they're not with you for a long time when you're a grown up. 
Right. So, uh, you know, then when you're a grown up, you're like, oh, it would have been so neat if my dad could have seen this or my dad could have been here for that. Um, what was his name? My dad's name was Edgar Carwana. Oh, I love the name Edgar. You meet a lot of Edwards, but you don't meet enough Edgars. He was an Edgar, Ed to most, Eddie to some, fast Eddie to me. He was he was like a real kind of card. He had this like little glint in his eye that would like pop up every once in a while and I'd be like, that's fast Eddie right there. He was like joyful. He was joyful and kind and sweet and quiet. But I would come home and I would just hear him laughing. Like his laugh always like filled the whole house. He would sing in his sleep. So I would come home late and, you know, you tiptoe in, you don't want to wake anybody. And then you just hear this like Pavarotti belting (laughs) and you'd be scared. And then you'd be like, oh, dad's just singing in his sleep. I have never heard of that before. I love that. I've never heard of it either. I don't know what it was. And we laughed about it all the time. But it was it was really interesting. He was an interesting guy. My my mom used to talk in her sleep, but anytime we heard her talking in her sleep, it was always like really intense political debates that she was having with people. <laughs> like one of my clearest memories is I think I was like ten or eleven at the time, and I woke up one night and I could hear her in the next room saying like, "No, that Tony Blair is no good." And I was just like. <laughs> All right, just going to turn around and try to go back to sleep. I don't want to deal with that. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, I'd love to learn a little bit more about Fast Eddie. Um, Did he have a hobby? Well, he he had a lot of different skills. I'm a first-generation Canadian, so my dad was an immigrant from Malta. And when he lived in Malta, he had, like, a myriad of jobs. But really what he was really great at was, like, construction and woodworking and kind of, like, artisan-y kind of crafty stuff. So... And he had a little, he had like a a workshop in our basement. That's really kind of where he lived hobby wise. He loved being in the, in the basement. And then when he got older, he got really like weirdly into like the internet and, and Facebook. Um, Real hard turn. Yeah, super hard turn. Uh, But he was like an old man at that time. And it was a way that he could like keep in touch with his relatives in Malta. He liked technology. He liked cars. In terms of things that we shared, I think we just shared a love of comedy and laughing. I remember coming home from like, it might have been university even, but he was watching like a rerun of Seinfeld and I walked in and he was killing himself and he said, have you seen this show Seinfeld? And I was like, (laughs) well, this is like a classic old dad moment. And I was like, yeah, like I've, I've, this is reruns. It's like that Kramer. And then we would just like sit and laugh and watch funny things. We loved like, I think that was kind of our shared bond. My favorite story about my dad is, uh, I was guess I was graduating from high school. I was teasing him a little bit. I was like, dad, I'm graduating from high school. And he's like, oh yeah, like playing it cool. And I said, well, there's going to be a big ceremony. And he goes, oh yeah, really? Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, well, are you going to come? He went, yeah, I don't know. Will there be cake there? And, and I was like, yeah, I, yeah, maybe there'll be cake there. And he's like, well, maybe I'll come then. And it was just like such a funny thing because he like, he didn't really do bits, but like that was such a funny bit that he was doing. And uh, and I just, I don't know, just kind of carry it with me as like this funny little moment. Yeah. And it's such a, it's a wonderful 
display of like sort of the playfulness you seem to share with him. That's yeah. really wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> I said wonderful twice there. It's fine. <laughs> well, he was a doubly wonderful guy. <laughs> How about the rest of your family? Yeah, I have one brother who's five years older than me and uh, and a mom who was 12 years younger than my dad. She was pretty cool and so far as she listened to cool music and the radio was always on in the house and she was not funny and she didn't get jokes. She would see me and my dad cracking up and kind of like, just like not get it. But I think she enjoyed the fact that we were getting along and family was just really important to mm-hmm. us. I don't know, because my brother was like, Five years doesn't seem like very much now, but when you're a kid, five years is huge. So I was the baby, obviously. He was the oldest. So like I got to do everything because he had to fight for it first. We were we were close family and even kind of like our extended family because my mom and her sister married my dad and his brother. No way. So yeah, so two sisters married two brothers. And so like my cousins were like, they were like my brother, my, my sisters. So even then, like our family gatherings were always much bigger than just the four of us. Do you know what? I love the two sisters marrying two brothers thing. A, it just sounds really lovely. And B, it was like a pretty common Bollywood trope when I was growing up. <laughs> so I just remember watching movies. I was like, man, that's so, that sounds fun. Like that just sounds like <laughs> every family gathering, you already have a friend. So... Shifting gears a little bit. Um, so when your dad passed away, um, where were you in your life? I was like 33 or 34 at the time. So like I was working at the Second City in the touring company at the time. And I had various acting and writing jobs, etc. I was single. I was living on my own. I was pretty busy. I lived in Toronto and they lived in Etobicoke. So We would see each other quite a bit. I would be there as much as I could for when he had to go to the doctor or he had an appointment or something like that. My brother and I would kind of spell off. And yeah, that's where I was. So he had uh, uh, something called uh, myeloma, which is like a cancer of the blood, basically. Probably when he was about 75 or so, he started to get a little bit sick. And then it was just kind of on and off. He basically just like lived with this disease until he didn't and then it was very fast so then he just got really really sick and then they just went there's nothing else that we can do so just because it was like it was like uh you know that analogy of like a frog in boiling water like the frog doesn't know it's in boiling water if you turn up the heat incrementally and I feel like that's kind of what it was like with my dad's illness was until maybe the last year of his life we always just thought like oh, like this is something he lives with and he'll probably have to have treatments and surgeries for the rest of his life, but this is just something that it, it is what it is. And also like at the time, you know, when he first got sick, he was like well into his 70s. So you kind of go like, well, I don't know about the rest of my family, but you just kind of start making peace with the fact that your your dad's not always going to be there. So in that regard... I feel like very lucky to have experienced it that way and just kind of gone like, oh, well, now we have to just make more of the moments. Like you can't just make the most of them. You have to like wring them out. Then I remember very clearly. So he had this appointment and for some reason it was at Princess Margaret, which is a 
cancer hospital at downtown Toronto. And that was the point where I was kind of like, okay, this is serious now. Because at the time it was all being handled, you know, kind of like in their local hospitals. When they sent him to Princess Margaret, I was like, this is either very good or very bad. And so we all went for some reason, my mom, my brother, and I. He saw a specialist and he, the specialist said, you know what, Ed, we're going to fix you right up. Not to worry. He's like looking at the charts. He's like, this is going to be a a piece of cake. This is going to be a walk in the park. And he said, go down to the pharmacy, get this stuff. And so we're like, okay, cool. (laughs) Let's do it. So we go to the pharmacy. Pharmacist says, oh, it'll be like half an hour. Go get a coffee and, and come back in 30 minutes. So we do. We go back. We get the medication. We're walking out and a nurse comes running after us screaming, Mr. Carwana, Mr. Carwana. We all turn around. We're like, oh, did he forget something? And then instantly he was admitted. I don't know if like the doctor read the chart wrong. At that point, like it all just kind of starts to go. All the blood just rushes to or from your head. You don't know what it is. And like everything just goes like, but he was admitted. The doctor basically was like, this is not good. Like he's, he's in a very bad way. And then I remember very clearly, the doctor said, we're going to give him this medication. And I remember very clearly saying, well, what happens if you don't give him the medication? He goes, well, with the medication, nine or 10 days without the medication, three or six. And to this day, my only regret surrounding my dad was not speaking up and saying, maybe we shouldn't give him this medication. Just let him go. Um, but in, in that moment, you, you don't think that, right? You just kind of go like, okay, what, whatever. You're the doctor. And then, yeah, and then it, it was nine days later, and that was it. Wow. <laughs> so it was so weird. It was so weird. But again, like I think, wow, how lucky were we for a doctor to literally say to us, this guy's probably got 10 days left on this planet. And for us to go, okay. Well, let's let's be here then. Anything you got to do, you got to do in the next 10 days. I can't even wrap my head around that. I don't know if it happens like that for many people. I don't. And that's again, that's why I keep thinking, like, how lucky was I? How blessed was I to get this map, to get this map to to my dad's demise? So you said that you regret choosing to give your dad the medication is there a particular reason for that? Just as a context, like my mom was uh, in a coma and the doctors kept saying like, we should take her off this thing. It'll lower the pain and she'll go in ease. And we fought it for a week. After six days, finally, my brother, my dad and I all talked and we took her off it. And then she was able to go. I don't know, looking back, yeah, I don't know if I would have done it differently. What would I have done? So I'm just, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on your experience with that. Looking back on those nine days, I'm so grateful to have had them. But my dad wasn't super lucid. He wasn't talking to us. We don't know if he was in pain. I don't know if he was afraid. That's what that's what gets me the most because I feel like pain you can manage. But to lie there unable to really communicate, to lie there in fear, knowing what what's ahead of you. I don't want that for anybody. I, I wanted to lessen that for him. But again, I, I do feel like these things kind of shake out the way they should shake out. And maybe he needed those nine days. Maybe we needed those nine days. Because to look back 
the loss of a loved one, loved one with, with big regret, like that's a, that's a tiny regret that that's a very small R regret that was like, oh, if I could have done it differently, maybe I would have done this. But that's like, that's ridiculous talking, right? Because we can't go back in time. I, I could have brought it up and my mom and brother might have been like, no, I don't want to fight with them, you know? So maybe it's just kind of the way it needed to go. But if someone is in pain, if someone is afraid, I, I would have loved to have lessened that for him. I love that perspective. I have never thought about this that way. And maybe that just shows like, Again, I need to spend more time thinking about that because I have never <laughs> thought about that. So, I mean, this is a silly question in some ways, but how how were those nine days for you and your family? Uh, it was an interesting time. My mom, she lived in Malta, which is a very, very, very small country, until she moved here to be with my dad. And uh, when she was with my dad, my dad took her everywhere. Like she didn't learn to drive until I was 16 and I learned to drive. Taking the subway by herself was a big deal. So for her to take the subway into the city to be with my dad, so interesting because I feel like that was her first step towards, she was always an independent woman, but towards like living without her her husband, living without a partner. And I think like that was almost like a blessing that he was in this hospital because it kind of made her take her training wheels off a bit and say like, okay, I got to step up. And we all kind of did that. So she would come usually around 11 in the morning. My brother and I would kind of float in and out through the day as, as we could. He worked and we would spell off because like, as I'm sure you know, being in the hospital is exhausting. To be honest, I don't remember a ton of days except the last two because they all kind of blended into one because that's what we were doing. We we're just sitting and reading a magazine. Talking with my dad was like not a really big option because he kind of at that point was probably on so many pain medications that he just was, you know, not really there. But that's kind of the mechanics of how it would go. And even knowing what we knew, it's funny how like our bodies and our brains protect us by making things routine, just like we're in COVID now, right? Like, if, if we had any sort of like different wiring in our brains, like we, we would all be going bonkers, but, but our brains and our bodies go, this is fine. This is regular. You're okay. And that's kind of what kicked in at the hospital. And you just kind of went day to day in this, I don't want to necessarily say numbness, but just this kind of routine, you know? Yeah. The routine was definitely strangely comforting yeah because you knew where you were supposed to be at certain times of it one thing I thought about when you talked about your mom though something my friend King said he said something really beautiful to me um that I comes back to me whenever I think about people losing a partner he said that after his dad passed away he and his brother both focused on their mom to sort of console her and I said, why? Like, you know, when my mom passed away, I didn't even think about my dad. I was like, I am sad and this is all about me. But King said, well, we had lost our dad, which is hard, but she had lost half her life. Like yeah. she had lost all those stories and memories that she had with him of moving to Canada, of building a life here. You know, when you lose someone, you lose all those inside jokes, those laughs those little stories that only live between two people and I just remember I remember feeling so 
sad and happy at the same time, just hearing that, I, I was so moved by that thought. So just hearing you talk about your mom and sort of like stepping into this new life is sad, but really beautiful in a way. Yeah. And I, I mean, like she knows it too. It, it, it's interesting because my mom, let's see, she would have been in her late 60s, like let's say 67, 68 when my dad died, which is by, by today's standards, like which isn't old, right? Like it's not decrepit. It's You're still active. You're still vital at that age, especially sh- she was. And it was so strange to talk to her about it because it was like, because I've always encouraged my mom to like, be the woman that she always wanted to be. Like she, she was a woman that went from her father's house to my father's house. Mm -hmm. Right. And no like real kind of in between. Now she's like living by herself in a condo. She has friends like, and we call her Beyonce. We're like, (laughs) we're like Margie, get out there, be Beyonce. And she's like, I am Beyonce. (laughs) Um, But to like have those conversations with her to say, this is very sad and you are going to miss him. And she does every single day. But it's like, but at the same time, it's like, this is the next part of your life. Mm-hmm. Like, what, what is this going to hold for you? So you can look at this as a sad moment and, and live in that sadness. You can do that as long as you want. But at a certain point, your life is still here. So what is that going to be? And she, I think she like really like embraced that and, and knew that like my dad wouldn't want her to be sad like that wasn't my dad he was joyful so she just kind of was like yep this is the next thing and again like having all that time to process it it's like knowing you're moving apartments and sad to leave the old apartment but like there is a bit of excitement about what this next chapter is going to hold mm-hmm. um I hope that doesn't make anybody sound too ghoulish but <laughs> <laughs> it's not like you know he died and then she wore a red dress and went out dancing but <laughs> But it it was just an interesting, it's interesting to see my mom, like, transform Mm -hmm. in those years, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and to this day, she still is like, oh, I I lost my glasses, and then I just went like, Ed, where are they? And then I found them, and I knew he was looking after me. Like, she's still, he's still with her every day, you know? That's so sweet. Yeah. So I know you mentioned a couple times these nine days. For me, there were these seven days, and I... Thought, found it interesting that you said like a lot of the days kind of blur together and the last two are the clearest. That's, I feel the same way too. D- tell me about the day your dad passed away. So it's interesting because I feel like to tell you about that day, I have to tell you about the day before. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm weaseling that last, that penultimate day in. So the day before my dad died, my cousins came, you know, like their kids came <laughs> And my dad, who was, again, like not very communicative, would look at them and be like, like, for instance, uh, my cousin had a motorcycle and he would look at my cousin and go like, room, room, like with his hands, like, like, did you ride the bike here? And, you know, like it was he was still like trying to joke up until the end, like trying to make feel people feel comfortable, it almost seemed like. Mm-hmm. So the room was very full and uh, and everybody said their goodbyes. And I thought, oh, isn't that interesting? Like everybody just came on mass. So then the next day, I remember it so vividly. And I was, I thought, I'm going to go in the morning because I'm not going to be able to be there all day. I remember I had this all day audition. And then I had a rehearsal at, let's say, five o'clock or not a rehearsal, an audition for a commercial, which I never get. 
I never <laughs> went on commercial auditions. I still don't. So I got there early. And my dad, again, mostly nonverbal, I held my dad's hand and he said, what time is your mom coming? Is your mom here? What time is she coming? I said, no, she'll probably be here at about 11, 1130. I'll stay with you till then. Okay. What time is Rob coming? My brother. And I said, oh, he'll be here after work, probably about 3.30, like normal. And then he went, okay. And then my mom arrived, and uh, I left. I left. I went, I did this rehearsal. And then I, because I was in the neighborhood of the audition, I was like, I'm going to go early and see if they'll take me early. Mm-hmm. So I show up. Uh, it was for Rogers. And I was like, hi, I'm here for the part of, like, the mom I'm, I'm hoping you can take me early. And this is like how long ago it was. It was like, oh, we can't take you because we're only seeing black families right now. <laughs> Which I was like, oh, I can't go in with like a, a black family. In case uh, you're listening, I'm not black. Um, so I was like, well, I, I might as well just wait here. Like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. So I waited and I think I like went to the bathroom or something and I came back and the woman gestured to me and she said, you're in luck. Someone else is here from your category. They want to go early too. And it was Kevin Whalen. And to this day, I always like think of Kevin Whalen as this like little guardian angel who, who really helped me out that day because I was like, great, went and did the audition, didn't book it, <laughs> left the place and walked back up to the hospital because it was all in the same general area. So I get there. And it's about three o'clock at this time. And my mom looked hungry. And I was like, why don't you go get a sandwich? I'm here now. I'll sit with him. Uh, I think my cousin Isabel stayed with me. I was chatting with Isabel, you know, uh, holding my dad's hand. And then it just kind of was like, you know, this is not feeling the same way as it was before. Nothing was different. But we all just kind of like felt the shift in the room. So I asked Isabel to go downstairs and get um, my mom. And then um, my brother came in and I went, Rob, like something, something's going on here. And then my brother, very different than me, became like a bit of a hurricane because like during my dad's sickness, like my brother did a lot of reading, did a lot of research. He knew what all the words were. He knew what all the levels should be. And he just like went into, he went into like overdrive and he was like, what are his this levels? What are his that levels? Have you called the nurse? What about the medication? Is he on the medication? And I just like looked at him like square in the eye and I said, this is, this is not it anymore. We're not doing this. I said, go sit beside him. Go hold his hand. <laughs> I said, tell him how nice it was to have him as a dad. And that's it. And say goodbye. And he kind of like got it. Like in that moment, he got it. And he did it. And it was like 3.30, like almost to the minute. When my dad died, because he waited for everybody to get there so he could go. And then he was gone. And like, again, like people share their stories about death and it's very sad and it's very, it's heartbreaking and it's gut-wrenching. But like, my dad had just a very beautiful death and I'm so grateful for that I'm so grateful for those last moments I'm so grateful that like something happened in the universe and Kevin Whalen showed up at that moment so I could go in and like be there when my dad died and like and it was just perfect 
it was like a perfect way to go. And I, I, in hearing subsequent stories of people losing a parent or a loved one or a spouse, this is weird because we don't always get to choose how we go. But I think sometimes we do. And I think people just kind of go like, yeah, like this is how it's going to be. And this is the time now. And, uh, and it, it was. And I just remembered us all going like, okay, uh, this is it then. And we all left. And I just got on the streetcar. And like 20 minutes before that, like I had a dad. And then I got on the streetcar and I went like, I don't have a dad anymore. And I was walking to the to the stop and I was like, should I take a cab? Like my dad just died. Maybe I should take a cab. And then <laughs> classic Toronto, the streetcar just comes and I was like, I'll just get on the 505. And I got on the streetcar and that was it. <laughs> I'm just taking it all in. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I, maybe it's a lot. Maybe it's too much. But like, no, it's it's that's beautiful. What happened? It's beautiful. yeah. It really, it really was, and I I do feel like so super lucky to have had that experience and to be with him. Like as as he drew his last breath, knowing that everyone was around him, knowing that everyone who loved him was around him, and uh, like God, you know. What more can you ask for in a life? Like, I don't think much. And it really just kind of puts things in perspective and really makes you kind of go like, yeah, like we really got to just treat every day with as much love as we can. <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm at a loss right now. You know, I, I just, I think it's so interesting that our experiences are so similar and yet our takeaways are so different because <laughs> because truthfully after my mom passed away I found myself thinking constantly what could I do differently what could I have done differently how do I do this differently and even throughout my grieving process for that first year the first two years you know I'm now almost four years out I still have this thought sometimes where I'm like what could I have done differently? And I think for me, that sort of replaying it all and in a weird way, guilting myself um, has been part of my grieving journey. And it's, it's sometimes I feel like it's a little bit self-absorbed where I, I'm putting myself in the center of the story of like, well, what could I have changed? And it's like, no, this was how it's going to go. And you you controlled what you could, but like, ultimately this is, this was the plan. Um, so I just, I'm, I'm just kind of blown away by, by your takeaway. And like, even what you were describing about, like you got on the streetcar, <laughs> like I can't, I can't imagine um, experiencing it like that, but it, it sounds, it sounds strangely peaceful in a way. It really was like, I, and Listen, you know, I'm not some, you know, angel floating through life with like all the answers figured out. So Zen, whatever. Like I had times, you know what I mean? Like there were really, can I swear? Yeah. There were really shit times. <laughs> and, uh, and there was sadness and there was grief and there was like despair, like real despair. And there was worrying about my mom because like she had never lived by herself and 
there was so much and I, I did experience that kind of stuff too, right? Did I spend enough time with them? Did mm-hmm. I do everything I could? Was I a good daughter? I don't think you can lose someone and not feel those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think like the more I kind of like sat in it, the more I was like, yeah. And even if I wasn't, all I can do now is change it moving forward. You know, I, I can't do anything about that that past and listen, like I was, you know, 34 years old. Like I, you know, I had my dad with me for a long time. I think you were considerably younger, right? <laughs> I was 27. Um, so yeah. yeah, still pretty young. I, I feel like any time before 30 to lose a parent is like, it's always sad. But if you lose a parent before 30, I think that's particularly hard. But like I had had those those five years to just kind of gear up for this. And I think like that helped me. So I, I felt... I felt equipped to deal with it and I felt equipped to deal with the, to the lead up, you know? Yeah. So I guess I felt like my grieving process was very turbulent. It sounds like at least the beginning of your grieving process was peaceful, but what was your grieving process from there on out? Like, you know, what was it like on your dad's birthday or anniversary the next year? Yeah. Um, I, rem- I remember two things about after. I don't remember much more. I remember three things. <laughs> the first thing was, I feel like it was like either the first night or the second night after my dad died. I just needed to get out of my apartment. So I remember walking out of my house and my house was very close to uh, the Bad Dog Theater where I would perform a lot. And it was like a block away. And I was like, I'm just going to go for a walk around the block. And I passed the Bad Dog and I was like, something weird is happening here and there was a festival happening like an improv festival Mm. comedy festival so I was like well it'll be good to be around people so I walked in a mess like I was just a mess I think I was maybe in pajamas or something very similar and nobody knew what was going on (laughs) with me and they went hey we're shooting this documentary come talk on camera (laughs) I just went like okay (laughs) and I did my dad had died that morning or the morning before. And then the next day I was like on film, the documentary about improv. <laughs> so that made my life just kind of go like, like that made me go like, your life is amazingly surreal and awesomely weird. And in a weird way, I feel like my, that would have made my dad laugh. So it kind of made me feel better. And then I remember his funeral and going, I remember speaking at his funeral. I remember, uh, just feeling very numb throughout the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Not really feeling, not crying. I don't think I cried. I remember seeing him like going into the ground and just being like, well, like, I guess this is what we do. Yeah. It just all felt really strange, like picking out the coffin. And that's a whole other thing. Like when you plan a funeral, all this weird stuff starts to happen. Like you say, like, I like these handles that are an extra $300 because they look like they make the coffin look like a toolbox. And I think dad would have liked that. <laughs> and then you hear yourself and you go, you're an idiot. <laughs> this is dumb. This whole thing is dumb. Uh, so I remember that. And just kind of floating through those first few days. Mm-hmm. And then I remember uh, the following Monday, I went back to work at Second City. And I was doing a scene. I had been doing a scene with uh, 
uh, my friend Jason Duras, who was in the touring company with me, and it was called Old Dad. And it was about how your your relationship with your parents shifts as they get older and you become the parent and they become the child. Mm -hmm. And like in the scene, like he had come back to live with me and he like was smoking weed for his glaucoma. And like, it was, it was a really funny scene. And I remember the director saying like, listen, if you don't want to do old dad tonight, we'll take it out. And I just remember going like, no freaking way. Like that's my dad. Like that's what's left of my dad. I remember doing that scene that night. God bless Jason. Like, just really seeing me through it mm-hmm. and really like taking that opportunity to like celebrate that relationship. And um, I felt like that was so much more cathartic than, than the funeral, just like kind of celebrating that moment and hearing people laugh and knowing that like my relationship with my dad had kind of culminated in that moment. Mm-hmm. It kind of feels like everything after that was just like varying degrees of sadness and you feel a bit sad, and then the next day you feel a little less sad, and the next day you feel really sad. On his um, on the anniversary of his death, and on his birthday, I'll do something that's just his. Like we'll go to a, a baseball game, or we'll eat ribs, or <laughs> I'll order a pizza from Pizza Hut. Like it's like that's how I kind of keep carrying him with me. And the first year after that, after he died, like that's what we did. We all went out as a family and. We ate ribs on the beach and it was really fun. And I think that's like, that was special. The the feeling you're describing of like it being so surreal walking out of, you know, this reality of your dad just passing away and walking onto Comedy Bar. Yeah. I think I remember when I came back, the first time I walked into a comedy venue, I just remember thinking in my head like, none of this matters yes <laughs> which so made freeing. which made it so much better I was yeah. just like cool I can just say or do whatever I want because nothing matters yeah um and it yeah it is very freeing but that surreal feeling of like being in a comedy show or in the theater and kind of looking around especially for me like again I was 27 all of my peers still had their parents so I would look at like my comedian peers and I'd be like None of you know what it's like. <laughs> Not in like a dark way, but just kind of like, mm, I, I know something you don't. <laughs> yeah, because you're different after you lose a parent. Yeah. I, I can't say what it is, but like there's, you're different. You're like, your your molecules are different. Yeah. And what I found really amazing going through that first year, anytime I came across another comedian who had lost a parent, it was like some sort of telekinesis however you say that word telekinetic connection was happening and like we would find each other and we would just like huddle and talk for so long this scene that you were doing that you know you felt like no we need to keep doing this we need to honor my dad and especially what you were describing about the catharsis Mm -hmm. so I also I was at my mom's funeral didn't feel I felt like a cardboard cutout of a human almost like I just had all these people coming at me and saying things I'm so sorry she was so great and I was just like uh like not taking any of it in Mm -hmm. and I just remember I also remember just seeing like her coffin laid out and I didn't have anything to do with picking the coffin but I just remember seeing it I was like oh my dad did well like they picked a good one Um, weird things get things get so normal yeah, yeah yeah but then where I felt that catharsis was 
two years later when I first managed to find, managed to write a funny sketch about my mom. It just felt like I had been waiting two years to like take that big breath at the end. The best comedy comes from big feelings. And there's this, you know, there's that old saying where like comedy is just tragedy plus time. Mm -hmm. And I truly believe it. And I think like the comedy that I love, and I think this is why I love you so much as a writer and as a comedian, because this is what you do. And I hope this is what I do, because this is what I love, is you take those things that are personal and kind of painful and um, maybe dark and maybe weird, and you go, okay, so what's funny about it? Because the human experience, like just in general, is funny. And if we can look at someone on stage and go, oh, yeah, me too. I did that too. That's, that is what I felt. Even if it's not the same, even if it's just analogous, then people are going, that's going to resonate with people. And people will find like the weird joy in that connection. And they'll find the comedy in that connection. They'll find the humor. And they'll be able to like, sometimes when, when you see those scenes, sometimes the laughter isn't necessarily because there's like a really great setup and punch. It's, it's that release that you're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. That like final big breath. But when we mind the big experiences, the human experiences of our life that, you know, that make us people, that make us feel, that make us want to reach out and connect, that's theater and that's comedy. And, and like, that's what I, that's what I want to do and make you feel something. Because if we're not doing that as comedians and as, you know, actors, I don't think we're like doing the best job that we can because it's our job to like transform right like our audience should leave different than they came in and they can't do that if I don't do that and I have to do that in order to do that I have to do the the work into that right and I'm not saying that like that's me every night but like those special shows that's that's what goes into them and I think like that's what kind of keeps my dad with me too right is like doing that to honor him and to honor the people who have like given me those experiences that I can then share Mm -hmm. and then like people come up to you after a show and go like man like my daughter is in the hospital and I really needed this tonight and like then you go like great I was put on this earth for something (laughs) because as a comedian it's not always easy to feel that way you know you like tell your mom what you did last night you're like well I, I put on this mustache and I pretended to be Alex Trebek for a while. <laughs> Today, and she goes, one of my favorite shows. <laughs> she goes, oh, okay. And then you kind of go like, oh, man, like, I'm not a doctor. I'm not building, I'm not digging a well for a kid. Like, But then you kind of go like, oh, but I have a purpose too. Mm-hmm. So the way you described Fast Eddie off the top, like mm-hmm. he was very joyful and you two shared laughter as this sort of love language do you think that played into your ultimately ending up as a comedian at all that's a great question because I've, I've asked myself that a few times like I I came to comedy in like a weird way like I always knew that I could do goofy things but I never thought of myself as like funny being funny was just kind of a baseline in my family because like my family was loud and boisterous so I I don't know I think like everything that you do up until that moment makes you the person that you are in that moment, right? Like, 
every wrong turn, every like weird diversion, like it brought you to this point in your life. I do know that like when I first started and my dad would come to see my shows, it was always so nice to hear him and my mom laugh. But to hear my dad laugh was like so great. And like that spurred me on. I think he like kind of was thought it was interesting that I was in comedy. And so like, yeah, but I don't think it happened in any sort of like conscious way. Yeah. And what advice do you give others going through grief or loss now? Reach out, reach out to everybody. It's you said it best, like grief can be very isolating it really turns yourself inward. And I think like that, that can be a dangerous place for some people. Like some people need that time and that introspection to be like, to be okay. So I guess part two is like, grieve the way you think you need to grieve. There's no wrong way to grieve. Do what you have to do. But like, yeah, just the the people who are there for you want to be there for you. If I might add a little addendum. Please. Maybe just as importantly, I, I want to give the advice to people, no matter what, like, because I, I know I do this, like you see somebody on Instagram that says like, who's lost someone or is losing someone or kind of feeling it like, my dad died a year ago today or whatever. Always reach out. Like, just mm-hmm. always put your hand out. It doesn't have to be a lot. But I know like the most meaningful thing to me in those times were just people like sending me a little email, just being like, I'm really sorry. I'm here if you need me. And like, that's something that I might not have done like prior to my dad dying because I'd be like, I don't want to intrude. I don't want to be that like grief vulture. That's not it. Like just reaching out and saying like, I know this is a shit time. And if you need me, I'm here. That would mean the world to so many people. Mm-hmm. It's funny, like an act of literal reaching out, uh, something that my friend King, something that he did a lot the first year after my mom passed away. He and I would go to comedy shows or like theater shows together. And anytime there was a mention of mom on stage, he would, he could be sitting next to me. He could be sitting a couple seats down. He would reach out and just like put his hand on mine yeah. or like put his hand on my knee just to be like, I'm here. I'm here. I feel it. Yeah. <laughs> and that it's, it's the smallest thing. And yet like four years later, I remember just being like, thank God. Yeah. It's thank huge. God someone else is there. It's huge. The things we think are nothing mean, mean the world to some people. Mm-hmm. How do you remember Fast Eddie now? Oh, I have a funny little story. I think in general, like, just trying to remember him every day, talking about him. I think I mentioned, like, I love to cook. And, like, if there's something particularly that I always be like, my dad would really like this. Uh, when we're all together at, like, Thanksgiving or Christmas, like, he, his name always comes up because, like, he had so many weird quirks around those times. He loved presents. He loved his birthday. Like, taking those qualities and kind of, like, enmeshing them into my life and uh, you know our family but I remember um, a particular way that I really feel like he's with me it so he never got to meet um, my boyfriend Sheldon and I, I feel like that's such a shame because I feel like they really would have liked each other 
And I remember like a few years after my dad died, a few years after Sheldon and I got together, a, a cousin of mine died and we were going to the graveyard to, uh, you know, to bury her. And it was the same graveyard that my dad is buried in. And when my dad was going through like certain treatments, he would have to get um, like spinal taps every once in a while. And he hated them because obviously they're so painful. So we gave him a pump up song. I gave him a pump up song. Um, you know that song like, I got soul, but I'm not a soldier. That would be his pump up song. And then we were driving like into the graveyard, into the cemetery. And uh, we got kind of lost because it was a big place. And we kind of pull up. I was like, just pull up and wait here until we see kind of where everybody is. And then we'll follow the the you know procession. And in a weird way, like, I don't know if, like, the car was off or something weird happened, but that song came on. And at that moment, I was like, he he's here with us. Like, he's here with us. And, like, we remember him at that moment. And, like, it felt good because, like, I was in the car with Sheldon. And it just was, like, a huge release. Because when someone else dies, it brings all that stuff back to you. And it was just in that moment to be like, it's okay. I'm here. Everything is fine. Uh, you know, it was just kind of like a big check mark. Oh, my heart. <laughs> I have such a big smile on my face right now. At the same time, I'm like, we're talking about sad things, but I'm so happy. But they're happy. They're happy things because nobody's going to be here forever. You know, and it's like he has this legacy of people who love and remember him. You know, we can't ask for too much more than that. And I, I do think that they're happy memories. I do. I do feel those moments of grief and find the joy in them because, like, what's the alternative? I think I'm supposed to have something deep and meaningful to say to you here. You know, some kind of a big overarching thought or a lesson for our listeners. But honestly, I really don't. Oops. I already told you in the last episode, I'm not an expert, and I won't pretend to be. I can't put it any better than what Jan already said. So I'm just gonna sit here and keep smiling about sad things. What's the alternative? So that's the first episode. Woohoo! We did it! Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Finders Grievers. Also, if you can't tell already, I love listening to people talk about their experiences with grief and loss. So if you'd like to share your story with us, please write to us at FindersGrievers at gmail.com. It's Mother's Day this weekend. You already know how I feel. If this day is hard for you, I see you. I'm planning on having a very lazy day, and I encourage you to do the same. Or do whatever it is you feel like doing. If you want to start 100 different crafts, do that. Just take care of yourself, and know that you are loved. Thanks for listening. I'll see you in two weeks.